0: Good day and thanks so much for joining us out there. We've got an interesting topic and everyone should listen a little closer to this one right here because you never know if it could be someone, you know, struggling with this or maybe it's you. Today, we're talking about ascending to the professional ranks, but you didn't necessarily make it here to break it down for us clinical social worker, Jewel Woods, with Male Behavioral Health. How are you doing today there, Jewel? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. And yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, We're having this conversation because at the tail end of our previous conversation, you brought something up and you sent me some information about professionals, but as it pertains to African-Americans. And you said that uh, some of the folks out there who are, are trying to help people are seeing more and more professionals these days, especially. Why do you think that is?
1: I I think there are a number of different uh, reasons for that, and I appreciate the question. But just to go back, the real specific thing that uh, you and I talked about was uh, the reality that the data, and not necessarily me, was just showing that African Americans in particular were not receiving the same sorts of protection uh, when it comes to uh, professional and middle class when it comes to suicide that we uh, think is uh, happening for other classes. And that's actually striking, right? Uh, Because the sort of assumption is that the more one makes it quote unquote in society, that the better resources, whether it be financial or even social or emotional. And so this thing that we're seeing in the data that African-American professionals, particularly African-American male professionals seem to be at a higher risk of suicidality compared to their white counterparts. Was just something that really uh, didn't make sense, sort of intuitively, uh, at least in terms of you know how we think about uh, suicide and risk stratification, and so it really does beg the question. Just to go back to what you were saying about how do we think about what does it mean to to make it in society, whether or not you're black, white, or or, or some other sort of race or ethnicity ethnicity, the question becomes what are really the, the challenges of ascending uh, in society, and more importantly, maintaining in society. And so um, the, the issue when it comes to sort of help seeking behaviors in general, there is a class bias. So one would see, you know, typically more middle class or upper class people going to see, you know, a psychiatrist or a therapist. So that's not necessarily um, too unusual. That just simply has to do with sort of information and resources. It doesn't mean, for example, that lower class or working class don't have uh, the same sort of issues or even higher rates. Uh, un- unfortunately, that just means, you know, there's just more sort of access. But the reality is it still does beg the question of why do people who have worked very hard to to put themselves in the position that they are and their families in the position they are still struggle with things like anxiety, depression, and trauma? And um, it might not surprise you, for example, that unfortunately this past year, year and a half during the pandemic was really a sort of case study of that. It was a case study of what actually happens when you've worked so hard to achieve a certain status. And almost overnight an industry can be you know that dream could be sort of you know uh wiped away from you so i got many men uh mr wiley uh black and white uh, uh, in fact a large portion of white professionals who were coming in at the very beginning of the pandemic because they were seeing entire industries um, you know wiped away men that had were senior professionals for example in the hotel industry you know at, you know just overnight Saw their positions, but also th- the idea of a career. Uh, I had men coming in saying that they were putting in like hundred resumes a day, and they had been in senior level positions for the majority of their adult life. And so, this whole question of uh, you know uh, loss is one thing, and then for men, if you put into that the reality that so much of their identity is wrapped into their work, and they right. didn't have any other sort of uh, other aspects of their identity fall back onto. A lot of stress, a lot of depression. Um, you know, and trauma going through that process. So it is a really, really important question. Um, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the benefits of, of, of having, you know, a high status position in this society, you know, one cannot minimize that. It's nice to have a vacation. It's nice to actually have benefits, uh, benefits in general. Absolutely. Yeah. But what we don't pay attention enough to is what, at what cost. Um, And particularly for minorities and certainly for minority men who often find themselves, if not the the first, the only in many settings where they're, you know, alone, there tends to be a lot of uh, balancing and negotiating of themselves that oftentimes over time comes at a cost. And so that's what I see in private practice. Men that are coming in, you know, after they've uh, achieved uh, achieved a certain level of status, uh, these are high professionals, doctors, lawyers, judges and really are sort of asking the question what, you know, of, is this worth it? And what have I lost uh, in pursuit of this uh, American dream? And it's a wonderful opportunity to help them sort of clarify, look back, look forward, and, and try to maintain themselves during this process.
0: No doubt that ascension to the top, uh, that flight to the top, if you will, is full of turbulence. And I would imagine specifically being an African-American man one could even face some gaslighting in his or her own community because people have said, well, "You've done all this. What have you got to worry about?" So then, there's really no one to turn to, especially if the people surrounding you yeah. don't have the same type of annual salary.
1: Yeah. No. I, I, there's a lot of wisdom in that in that sort of observation, and in 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 addition to that, uh, those people who. Uh, might look at folks uh, as ascending and not necessarily have problems, don't really just understand the burdens that those people uh, carry. And so, you know, part of this is speaking within the veil. If you're an African-American professional, and I've said this, you know, publicly and privately, it's only your class that really recognizes uh, the amount of uh, negotiation that happens in certain settings, because if you're working class or working poor, you're just not in those settings. You just don't have to deal with white colleagues. You don't have to deal with all the things that comes with being a sort of, you know, white collar elite professional.
0: Game, recognized uh, game.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you would see uh, that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm just saying that, you know, um, that is not an unimportant observation, right? And to, you know, and I appreciate that language because that language applies to, for example, an urban class idea, right? Not at all to professionals. It doesn't give professionals the sort of uh, respect. Uh, and I would say, and, and that's, a, and it maybe not that word. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, what I see particularly most often in African-American male professionals, the average African-American male might be, you know, interested in respect, right? Like most males, but African-Americans in, uh, in particular are interested in regard because they've worked so hard. And so when they're exposed to these microaggressions or these, types of sort of slights about, you know, uh, what their abilities are, it's not just felt as a disrespect for who they are, it's a disrespect for, uh, you know, what they are. And that really for men, uh, you know, who again have worked very, very hard to get what they, you know, nothing's been given to them, you know, besides, you uh, you know, that sort of illusion, that type of identity that I have earned the type of recognition in addition to respect for my craft, for my skill, for my position. And where people don't, you know, uh, give that, you know, that in and of itself is not, that's not a financial benefit, right? That's a, a stature benefit. That's a status benefit that anyone who puts in that amount of time, puts in an amount of work, sort of, you know, assumes that they might get. And I just give a, 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 maybe a, a class example. Uh, I think at the beginning, it's been a long time, but in uh, uh, Cornell Cornel West book, Race Matters, he talks mm-hmm. about, you know, just being at the, you know, uh, at a street in New York, if I have it correct. And he's just, you know, looking at, you know, taxi cabs, you know, when there were taxi cabs, right, going by and seeing them pass him up and then, you know, go pick up other folks. Now, the average African-American will, you know, absolutely understand that as disrespect based upon race. But you're Cornell West.
0: You right? have worked so you, hard to get you to are this one of that the That's what I was you about. You are to one
1: add. of the top intellectuals in the world. And so that added aspect of, you know, not just respect, but regard has to be the type of negotiation and like, you know, a double burden when it comes to trying to assess how one is seen, again, just within a racial context. So you're 100 percent right that there is this negotiation of not just class, race and gender, but whether it's additive, whether it's interactive, it ends up being a part of the price that, you know, uh, people pay And at some points in what we're seeing in the data, it's unfortunately a price that, you know, some of them are uh, having to pay a a huge cost for.
0: I was just about to ask you that, you know, I I don't know if I had a thought bubble up here or not, because I was gonna say, (laughs) you've got individuals who have worked extremely hard and folks are just not even privy to all the conversations and degradation that that individual may have endured to get to wherever he or she is. And they're thinking now that I have gotten to this point Th- these are the pearly gates, only to find out that the pearly gates are just as hellacious as every other existence they've ever known. So yeah. is that leading some folks to say, you know what, If this is all life has to offer. Is that something that has come up in some of these conversations? If this is all that there is out
1: there, then what's the point? I think that ends up being a, uh, the sort of end stage of it. But I think that what you're you're sort of alluding to is, you know, getting to a certain status is one thing, but maintaining it is another. And so what I see is people, and certainly to your point, by the time they come to see me, especially African-American men, they are at that point where they just are done. But it it really is more of a recognition of just the day to day, year after year, uh, decade after decade of what it actually takes to stay in that position. And again, as I mentioned before, we have unfortunately, and specifically just talking about African-American males, uh, if we're not necessarily the first in these positions, right? Because there was a time when that was the case, we're still not just the only. And that just has to do with the fact that, you know, unfortunately, because of what has happened to African-American civil society, that we just haven't grown in proportions in these professions over time because of a whole bunch of different things, racism and, you know, criminal justice. So there's just a, 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 a profound degree of aloneness aloneness, um, and isolation uh, that one has to sort of deal with. And again, I'm saying whether it be the accumulative aspect of that or the iterative And let me give another way in which that might present itself because I am very fortunate, uh, Mr. Wiley, to to have the opportunity to work with mainly African-American males. It's where I get the greatest joy. But it is important, for example, to recognize that this typically is a process that starts early. So, for example, the crisis of the professional uh, middle class is we have to, you know, to get to that status, for example, many of us have to send our kids to the, quote unquote, best schools. And for them, that means what? Also sending them to predominantly white schools. Oh, my gosh. And so this process. Yes. And so this process of having to negotiate being alone and to fit in, uh, to achieve, to excel begins early and often for that professional class. And these are conversations one can yeah.
0: rarely have with yes. his or her white colleagues because yes. they don't understand and some don't want to understand and they think yes. you choose to cling to this as a crutch.
1: Yes. Yes. And again, I, my only point More was isolating. Say, yes. Yes. And my only point was to say that, you know, think about that, you know, from middle school to high school to college then to and the process just ends up being, often again, not all, not all the time, where the more one goes up in the process of ascension, it becomes more white, becomes more female, depending upon your your genre, and that ends up being something that a person either you know has the ability to negotiate over time, right, make peace with, or over time one you know starts to develop a growing awareness of that. And so one can retreat within one's family and really, for example, again, just in terms of adult conversations, most adults will, you know, uh, at some point priorities change. You know, the focus becomes creating this world for your your children. And so you're not just sacrificing for yourself, you're sacrificing for them. And so perhaps you can sort of retreat in identity, but it still is this part of maintaining, right, the amount of emotional work that's involved in being, if not isolated, being alone. one of the few. And what has happened, uh, you know, unfortunately, particularly for African-American men over the decades, is the type of institutional and organizational uh, connectedness has been lost. So there was a time, for example, where we were all in the church. There was a time where we were always in the fraternity, right? Mm -hmm. Or there was a time, for example, where we were all sort of political, sort of three sort of bases that Martin Luther King talked about. And what has happened over time, again, even part of this sort of ascension, is that one doesn't even have the time to do all that stuff. And so we are more alone, um, uh, less, you know, have less friendships than we've ever had before. And it's actually leading to this type of independency. And this is the the other point that I would say is I get a lot of, all the men that I get are are brilliant, you know, and I always share with them that they, you know, uh, teach me and give me as much as I give them. But we're talking about men who are very successful, who sacrificed a lot to be, to excel in their positions. But in that whole process, there's a lot of aloneness, right? Where they've had to sort of, and it, 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 it you know, at some point comes out uh, over the, over time in, uh, in sort of pessimism, uh, a little, uh, not necessarily uh, anger, irritability. Uh, and it, again, a lot of that on one level just has to do as I sort of, you know, sort of, you know, try to do this for the work, because you can come up with different sort of treatment plans, but there's just a lot of uh, of things that we've had to sacrifice to get to this point. Yes. And when we look around. And again, if we don't, you know, if the family's working out because that's the thing, then great. But if, you know, if you're an average parent, you know, in general that, you know, raising kids is not the easiest thing. They got their own personalities. Right. Uh, having, you know, being in marriages with a partner, uh, that's not easy either. So uh, even if one retreats to those certain areas, there is no just it's, it's an easy road. So uh, what I find for many African-American professionals, uh, especially, you know, 40 and above, you know, who have gone through, uh, you know, the first stages of their professional life, probably have been married or divorced, certainly have kids, that that process, that that part of their lives on forward is really a process where they're reflecting on meaning, right, and if they're not getting the answers to their question about, you know, why have I done this and am I willing to continue to do this, that's when these sort of issues of anxiety, depression, anger, irritability uh, start to come up. And, and unfortunately, again, the data is just showing, you know, for the first time that the end stage of that process, because they're not, you know, having someone work with them to sort of figure out other ways, uh, is, you know, unfortunately, things that, you know, have a higher risk when it comes to things like suicide or or these other things so it's a long process um, and you know i feel you know we owe um children in general as adults a sort of an apology for a lot of things that uh we, we kind of put them through i mean for the african-american professionals who send our kids to, to schools where uh they have to at an early age figure a lot of that stuff out uh, we're sending our kids in many ways you know to sandwich, swim with sharks yes right yeah, yeah, and the same thing happens for our adults, and we owe our professional class. And again, I'm not. There's a lot of again benefits that come with it. I'm not minimizing that, but to really understand what it takes to negotiate all of this, um, I have interviewed some of the most brilliant uh, men that I one can think of, and they tell me they don't say a word in a board meeting. <laughs> yeah, <Yo>, oh boy, <laughs> and they can talk for hours and for days. Right. Brilliant but they will systematically choose just not to say a word. They have to moderate their Blackness. Or just be invisible to simply know yes. because that's a part of the process of, and that's a very different type of identity for a Black male athlete, right? Or, you know, these other folks who just on their quote unquote talent or hard work, you know, there's a basis for that sort of ascension. So there's a lot of things uh, involved when it comes to, you know, uh, ascending the ladder, right? Uh, a lot of it doesn't have to do with just uh, skill and talent it has to do with, you know, who you know and whether or not you're likable. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 We like you. Politics of the situation. Yeah. Yes. And, and the sort of um, and I would even say it, politics, but also the reality of making people comfortable.
0: Yes. And not
1: having right and not having the ability at all or ever to uh, go outside of a grin right? The joke with Obama, right, when he had the sort of anger translator, right? I remember forgetting who that (laughs) right? right? Was that Obama? Yes, yes. Was that Obama, uh, you know, so his gift was that he made being cool so seamless. That was part of his brilliance, right? Never let him see you sweat. That's a part of the sort of male thing. But again, the idea of being angry or making folks uncomfortable in a professional setting, in the boardroom, that is not afforded to us, and again, I can't share with you a number of clients who absolutely, um, you know, need to come in and process the question of, you know, what do I do with that?
0: I was right? just going to ask you what what does one do with that? What is what does one do with being told basically you don't make us comfortable? You are yeah you are too forward with your thinking. Yeah, although you may watch other people be
1: yeah. uh,
0: sometimes inappropriate. But but you, you are too forward with the way you approach matters.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, it's a wonderful question. Um, I think it it depends upon the client, but there is this whole question of. um, So I would just share with you that any clinician that doesn't know how to deal with men around questions of respect, um, you know, really doesn't know like masculinity and mental health. And I don't mean respect in some sort of distant way. I mean, specifically when it comes to the whole question of boundaries and injury. So, for example, as a, in just talking about males, the issue of respect, you know, on the street, it's, you know, is, is this whole issue of, you know, uh, what is it about uh, my identity that if someone crosses a certain boundary that, you know, everything's you know, off limits? And this whole question of uh, being authentic and, you know, not necessarily, you know, uh, having the voice uh, to uh, to be authentic is a question that, you know, uh, sometimes, again, as males and even as male adults, you know, men haven't had the opportunity to sort of process and to figure out, you know, negotiate itself. You know, whether or not you're doing it for the short term, for the long term, as a part of your politics and figuring out what sort of boundaries make the most sense for them. Right. The reality is, for example, we do have historical examples. So whether it be, you know, Jackie Robinson, we think of all the sort of insults and stuff that, you know, folks had to go through that we can sort of analytically say, you know, that makes sense. The question is, do you want to be like that? Jackie and some people, died at a
0: young age.
1: Right. And I'm just saying so often, again, going back to this process, uh, We don't give our our males that choice because we put them in this thing. And at some point, it really just to go back to like what I have to do and what there's an opportunity is to really allow them to make the choice. Do you want to do you still want to be that child who has been the person who has been forced to negotiate this off and on? Of course, on a certain level, the answer is like, yes and no, because I want to keep these sort of benefits. But how do I do it in a way uh, where I'm just more authentic to myself? And then you come up with ways to figure that out. You come up with ways, honestly, for example, to be protected and heard in other ways, right? Uh, But at the end of the day, it's a question about what actually is your own standards? What do you you consider to be your best self? And how can we develop a sort of plan for you to figure that out? And, 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 And while that might not be a direct answer to your question, it really is the first time that anybody's had given them the opportunity to figure that out, and that's the point, right? To articulate that to recognize that it is not just uh, them, that it's legions. I mean, would it say par for the course? That this whole reality uh, that you're experiencing is not something that is created by you, uh, is going in by you. Now, for example, you might have an opportunity to think about it differently when it comes to your own children and or just to figure out other ways to make sure that you're supported, protected, and loved, and your dignity is maintained in other ways. Because again, too often, That's the only way in which, you know, men sort of get that. So it it varies, but it it centers around that, you know, that fundamental acknowledgement, uh, recognition, and then allowing for a process to figure out what that man wants to do for his life.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you some some suggestions and you hit the nail right on the head there. I think also uh, people uh, a two part question as we, we come to a close here people may not understand what a microaggression is. And if they don't, maybe we need to put it into context for them. Sure. And then the constant exposure to microaggressions, because now as people navigate their way through these diversity, equity, and inclusion courses, and yes. they get a certificate, some might think that even though they may not look like you or I, they are now an expert in this, this whole realm of matters, but actually they're perpetuating the problem. and they're making it worse because now they think they have license to say and do what they want to say and do and that's not accurate and that makes it worse for people who feel isolated and having these conversations with people
1: yeah it's a wonderful observation and what we would hope for example is that uh, at a minimum this diversity equity inclusion Motto means, for example, more representation, right? So that people are not feeling alone. But no, it's a wonderful question, you know, that maybe sort of shades into the idea of, you know, allies and what does it mean to be an authentic ally? But I think what you're, there's, there's the sort of wisdom behind Your question is like perhaps we're in this sort of world now where the idea of microaggressions might become a little bit lesser because we think that you know people are becoming more sensitive to the topic and that might not be the case. So you know what I would just you know just do in in that context. And what is is a
0: microaggression?
1: And that's what I would say. Double down on what that concept means. So microaggression you know refers to the uh, the subjective experiences that minorities feel um, based upon. continuous sort of uh, examples of recognition or non-recognition based upon race. And so it is particularly sort of felt in you know, things said, things done, um, interactions uh, that are of course not the most overt way of you know, white people wearing uh Ku Klux Klan mask, but the sort of insults to dignity and to one's uh, sort of um, skill and, and stature based upon these sort of uh, racialized notions of, well, you didn't earn it, or it might be affirmative action, and or things that they would say that just are culturally sort of inappropriate. And so these are the types of, uh, and, and more importantly, it really does refer, the term microaggressions is to the culture and the world in which um, minorities, particularly African-Americans, have to exist around whites who really don't understand or just don't uh, have any interest in understanding what it means to you know deal with white supremacy uh, across the board, and it's this constant negotiation uh, that you know African Americans in particular, minorities in general, have to deal with their white colleagues, uh, where they are defending themselves, whether it be you know def- you know having to speak for every black person, all the constant you know issues that African Americans are put in, um, partly because their their white colleagues you know uh, again either. Uh, are unintentionally racist, you know, and this, this sort of implicit bias has also gotten a lot of, uh, of attention, too, because there as much explicit bias as well. But it really, again, at the end of the day, just refers to the types of insults, um, uh, the lack of recognitions, the passing over, all those things that African-American professionals have to deal with. And it's an important concept precisely because, uh, and this is the thing that I would want to say is, it's, a, it's class-based. Again, it doesn't mean that African-American working poor, uh, you know, don't experience racism, but they don't experience it within the context of the day-to-day interactions because that's what professionals have to do. They're they're interacting with the majority white colleagues all the time. And so it's it's in many ways is a class-based phenomena that we see professionals and elite uh, having to deal with that there hasn't been a lot of uh, uh, history and research on. And I just say that, you know, uh, in, in terms of, for example, the field of sociology, We've always studied the poor, you know, I mean, and, and it makes sense because we're trying to we're interested in policies and things that sort of protect them. But it was only within the last 10 to 20 years that we really start to, to really study the black middle class to figure out what are the things that, you know, what are the uh, realities of being, you know, a black professional. And what you find is black professionals, you know, subjectively say that they experience far more racism than people who are poor and working poor, that people who are working poor, Uh, believe more in the American dream than do black professionals. That's what the data shows, which doesn't make sense, right? For those who have quote unquote made it, you would assume that they would believe in the American dream, but they don't because they're the ones that's exposed to these microaggressions. They understand the realities uh, of race a little bit more than folks who, you know, have not. And so there's a profound opportunity, uh, to uh, talk about what it means to be successful in this country, but also to talk about uh, the cost associated with it. Um, And, you know, I find myself in a unique position. Again, I, I, and I'll say this last thing is there is a a way of talking about, you know, uh, young people and the sort of wonder and joy uh, that, you know, that children bring to our lives, right? Uh, Sort of innocence, but I can tell you, Mr. Wiley, that the real joy that I get is from dealing with men who've had to, over time, for example, experience things like microaggression, to deal with things like divorce, to deal with things like, uh, you know, raising children. Those are only things that happen throughout the life course. Children don't have that. Right. And so for me, that's the uh, the real opportunity, the sort of abandonment and where I feel that there's a profound uh, apology that we owe. Uh, men in general, African-American men in particular, who are professionals, because nobody's really uh, created a space for them to just say, this is what you're going through, right? And there's going to be a real profound cost, not just, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, these financials, but emotional, social, and otherwise to your ascension, that you're going to be more isolated, that you're going to be more alone. That you won't be, you know, uh, as heard as you thought as you think that you are, and if you're cool with that, great. But if you start off the process with that, you know, a, a lot of people might not check that box, right? And so we just, again, have to, you know, uh, again as a clinician, uh, really be sensitive to that. Um, and my 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 work centers around making sure that it's a message, right, that's heard early and often. Um, that you know, Black Lives Matter. Uh, And there's a real class basis to some of the struggles that, you know, our people suffer from. Um, Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for that. And for all the folks out there listening right now, I would say to you, and I'm sure, Mr. Woods, you would agree, find yourself someone who will not tire of hearing your, your plight. Find that therapist who is willing to listen to you, hear you out, help you out. That's the piece. Because we don't want you to go the direction that would mean we would never see or hear from you again because this problem is real and 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 i can't thank you enough for your time there mr woods uh for all the help with male behavioral health as these conversations really shine a light on some important topics and to all of you out there thank you so much for listening and until next time please take care of yourself and have a good one